You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Here's my question. If you guys could have a letter written to you from God, you know, to John, who I met this morning, I remembered his name, Luke, and Karen, and, oh, sorry, and Karen, and David, it's all sitting behind me here. If you could have a letter written to you, so to John, from God, telling you exactly what he wants you to do at this moment, would you want that letter? Would you want a letter written to you personally, autographed by God saying, this is exactly what I want you to do right now at this moment? That'd provide a lot of clarity, right? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of questions that you have right now would be like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> You'd know exactly what you're supposed to do. You wouldn't have to worry about, am I making the right decision? Am I buying the right house? Brock and uh, Bridget just closing on a house. Did we buy the right house? I don't know. Letter from God? Tell you pretty fast. You know for sure. The bad part of that would be you would have to do it, right? <laughs> I mean, like, what's going to be your excuse? <laughs> right now, you have the convenience of being like, well, who knows what God wants? <laughs> Maybe it is this house. I don't know. <laughs> but if you get a letter from God saying, I don't, I don't want you to buy that house, Brock, you're like, but I like it. <laughs> it's in the neighborhood. It's right at the right price. So the downside is if you have a letter from God, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. And now it's on you to either do it or not. Or to tell God, I don't want to do what you want. My will for my life is better than your will for my life. Today we're going to read a letter written to an individual by the Apostle Paul. And it is part of our scripture. So it's not, imagine if somebody wrote you a private letter that's now being published and broadcast for thousands of years. People are talking about a private letter that somebody wrote to you. Well, it's because it's not private. It was from the Holy Spirit inspired Paul's pen to write a letter to this man Philemon, uh, you may have come in here thinking his name was pronounced filet mignon, <laughs> or you might have thought, like, why is there a recipe in the middle of the Bible? Not really sure about that, but it, 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 I don't know. I've, the respectable people I've heard call him Philemon, so I'm going to roll with it. If you pronounce it differently, I don't think it much matters. He's in heaven and isn't really all worried about it at the moment. Um, so Philemon, and uh, he, he received a letter like this. He received a letter from God telling him exactly what God wanted him to do at that very moment. So Philemon has divine instruction as to what God wants him to do. Now he has a choice to make. Will I do what God wants? Because it's clear. It's a short letter. It's to the point. It tells him exactly what God expects him to do. So what was so important that it prompted God to write a personal letter. Most of our letters are written to churches, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Thessalonica, Corinth, etc. What inspired God to write a letter to an individual? What was so important that he took time out of Paul's busy life, sitting around in prison writing letters, <laughs> to write this one? Well, if you open to the book of Philemon, that's what we're going to look into today. What is so on God's heart that it prompts him to write personal letters to individuals? And maybe you guys are like Philemon. Philemon was just minding his own business, going about life. He's a Christian. He's trying to run a business. He's trying to be a good husband, be a good father. He didn't come to church one morning expecting God to say, hey, Philemon, this is exactly what I want you to do. Maybe that's you this morning. You had stuff going on. You had a son about faint. You have stuff going on this morning. You have a house you're trying to worry about. How are we going to get movers and everything? You got stuff going on. You didn't come to church this morning expecting God to tell you what he wants you to do. You just thought it was Sunday, it's what we do, we go to church. I don't even know why I'm here, somebody drugged me here. <laughs> I don't even want to be here, my mom made me feel guilty, that's why I'm here this morning. But God has you here. 
And he wants to tell you what he wants you to do this morning. He wants to tell you exactly what he wants you to do this morning. So while you're finding Philemon, it's in the New Testament. If you find the book of Hebrews, which is a larger book, you're one book too far, turn back to the left. If you find any book starting with a T, you're close. <laughs> the T books are in alphabetical order, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but the T books are in alphabetical order. <laughs> so if you find a T book, you're close, turn to the right. It's a very tiny book. It's one chapter. It doesn't even, you don't even say chapter, you don't even say Philemon 1 verse something. You just say Philemon 18 because there's one chapter. 25 verses, the whole book. So if you, while you're looking for that, let me give you some backstory to get us up to speed so you can kind of have an idea of where we're at here. Now, we don't know exactly all the details that go into these people's lives, but we know enough to kind of paint a picture. Philemon is a wealthy man, owns a big house. Uh, he, owns, he owns employees. He owns slaves that he employs. We know he's wealthy because he owns slaves. He has a big enough house to host a church in. And uh, from what we know, Apostle Paul never went to Colossae, so they, they didn't meet there. And this is where uh, Philemon is from. So the most likely meeting point is probably Ephesus, which is a nearby town. It was a town where tradespeople would often meet and do their business. A wealthy man like Philemon would have found himself there often. And we know for a fact that the Apostle Paul found himself there for a stretch of three years building a church. And it says in the book of Acts that while he was there, that all of Asia heard about the gospel because of him because of what he was doing in Ephesus. So it makes sense that Philemon on a business trip would have been in there and been like, have you heard the news? There's this crazy guy <laughs> saying some new thing happened, that some dead guy is not dead anymore, but he's not here either. He's back in heaven. We've got to check this out. Like This is the greatest show in town at this moment here. So maybe Philemon wanders down there, and this is all speculative. I don't know. It's not in the Bible. I'm just They met somehow. We know this for sure. And so maybe Philemon goes down and meets him, and hears Paul talking about how he is spending his entire life to give glory to this king named Jesus. He's spending himself entirely. He's working tirelessly so that he can give it away for free. He's building tents instead of receiving money from the people he's converting so that he can do it for free. Maybe Philemon, this wealthy businessman who's oriented his life around making money, hears this and is pierced to the heart. I don't know. Something about what Paul said struck him. And perhaps the fact that this man was giving his entire life for somebody else resonated with him who was building his own little kingdom off in Colossae. What we do know is that Philemon becomes a Christian. He receives the good news. He accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he returns to Colossae, a new creation. He's like, I have a big house. Let's start a church. And so he starts a church in his house. Um, and I don't know what kind of boss he was up until that point, but at this point now he is a Christian boss. He has verses addressed to him as a master of how he's supposed to treat people. And so he's trying to treat his servants as well as he can, just trying to do the best that he can with what he has. And he has a, a particular servant named Onesimus, which is, you know, a common name, Onesimus. Um, it, it, the name literally means useful. Um, and so his name is Onesimus. I'm not sure if he was named, you know, by expectant parents hoping he would end up useful <laughs> or if it's one of those things where they looked back and said, oh, you're useful. The text will tell us it was maybe more of the former, you know, like where like I named my kids ahead of time being like, you know, I, like Atticus means fatherly. It's like, I hope he's a good father. Like, so you kind of project it onto him and you hope it plays out. <laughs> and so we'll see from the text though he was not useful. <laughs> so it was his parents hoping uh, that he would end up that way. 
Onesimus is not a great employee, not a great servant. He's not interested in the good of the house that he's part of. Doesn't like serving, doesn't like being second. He'd rather be the boss, rather be in first place. Doesn't want to be there. Um, I don't know what it was like before, but when Philemon comes back, the fact that he's a Christian now doesn't make it any better for him. It doesn't make him want to be there anymore than he was before. And so maybe perhaps while Philemon's on one of these business trips, maybe Philemon takes his wife and kids on a vacation like I just got back from. Onesimus says, here's my chance. So he's like, I don't like this life anymore. I'm done. So he robs Philemon and splits. He takes off. (laughs) He's like, you know, and so he leaves the house, doesn't want to be there anymore. You've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Back then, that was literally true. (laughs) And so if you're on a road and you are an undocumented worker with a bunch of stolen goods, you probably head to a large city with a place where you can hide, a place where you can go to pawn shops and get stuff where people aren't going to ask too many questions and you get some money, you can go under the radar. So he ends up in Rome most likely. And we know that Paul ends up in Rome under very different circumstances, under house arrest, under house arrest in Rome. And so I don't know, we don't know, this again is speculation, we don't know how these people meet, but we know that they both end up in Rome, most likely. And so maybe Onesimus catches wind of this, maybe he's spending money and making friends like the prodigal son did, you know, like once you have a bunch of money, you have a bunch of friends for that moment. And so maybe people were hanging around him, and they're like, you gotta check out this guy, like he's, in house, he's under house arrest and saying the craziest stuff, like it's a real treat <laughs> to go hear this guy. Uh, so let's go like hear him, and maybe Onesimus ends up there and hears the Apostle Paul say, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. And I could go free right now if I just denied him. If I said, screw Jesus, I could be done with this right now. I could be a free man if I denied Jesus. But I am a slave to him, and I love my master with undying love, so much so that I would spend my life and gladly rot in prison in order to serve him. I would rather do that than deny him. And maybe the heart of Onesimus, who has just robbed and abandoned and betrayed his own master, is broken by the news of some man who would do this. And maybe that's how he came to Christ. We don't know, but we do know that Onesimus came to Christ, that Paul was able to lead him successfully. Through the gospel presentation, Onesimus receives it. Back then, prisons weren't like, weren't the cushy places they are now. (laughs) If you were in jail, they didn't provide food for you. They didn't provide anything for you. You were just in jail. And if you didn't have friends who loved you and brought you food, you would just starve to death in jail. That's why the New Testament is so adamant about visit your brothers in prison, because if you don't, they will die there. And so Onesimus starts running errands for Paul, bringing him food, going about town, doing things for him. And so in the course of getting to know Onesimus, you know, he finds out he's getting to know him better. And one day Onesimus is like, man, I just got to feel like I got to tell you this. Back in the day, I was a slave, and how I even got here was that I robbed him and just hit the road, and I feel like it's something like the Holy Spirit's putting on my heart, I need to confess, and Paul's like, oh man, that's, that's a heavy thing to do to somebody, to betray them like that. Um, you should really seek forgiveness from that person. You should go and confess to them what you've done. He's like, yeah, but it's all the way back in Colossae, and Paul's like, Colossae? I know somebody in Colossae. Like, who, who is it? He's like, oh, you probably don't know him. It's just some guy named... And, and Onesimus, I'd say, let's say he called him Philemon. Because <laughs> we're going to roll with that. Maybe he pronounced it differently. <laughs> so let's say he says, yeah, his name was Philemon. Paul's like, Philemon, you say? I know him very well, actually. I led him to Christ a couple summers ago. He's like, 
oh, so the guy that you led to Christ is the guy that I totally screwed over. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and so Paul's like, now, like, before you had a responsibility to go confess, but now as Christian brothers, you have to go back. You have to go back. It's not right for you to be here while this outstanding weight of sin between this brokenness exists between you two. So Onesimus says, okay, I will do it because you said so and because Jesus is good and because I know that my sins are forgiven in him, I will go and stand before men. And if they still accuse me, that's on them. But I am clean before God through Christ. And so I'm going to go and try and make things right. But Paul says, before you do that, let me write a letter to Philemon and give it to you. Because uh, I have some things I want to say to Philemon about this whole process that's taken place. And so he writes this letter, Philemon, and hands it to Philemon. We know he was accompanied by a man named Tychicus, and we know that they had three letters. The book, the letter to the Ephesian church, the letter to the Colossian church, and this personal letter to Philemon. They make a stop in Ephesus. They make a stop in Colossae. You can read at the end of Colossians chapter 4. He even addresses it. Tychicus is here. He's got this letter. Onesimus is with him. And then their last stop is at the home of Philemon. And so I want you to get in the place of Philemon for a second, because if you've been hurt by somebody, you know who that person is right now, right? Like, it doesn't take long for you to, to remember the words. You can even, you know the words verbatim, because you've heard it a million times in your head, right? Whatever that thing they said was, whatever that thing they did, if, if you have brokenness between you and a person right now who's really hurt you and you don't feel reconciled, you don't feel like it's been dealt with, you know who that person is. So put yourself in Philemon's spot for a second, He's had somebody totally abandon him and rob him in the process. He's been deeply hurt by this person who totally left him. And he's just going about his business like you this morning. Just trying to do life, trying to do what's right. Goes to church and all of a sudden... It's weird. Sunday morning, I don't know. Goes to the door, opens the door, and sees Onesimus. The man who's abandoned him. hurt. He hasn't, I don't know how long it's been since he's seen him, but he's looking eye to eye... You're looking at it. Who, who do you not want to meet in the lobby today after church? <laughs> who would you be really bummed out? Who would you hide behind a thing to avoid seeing? <laughs> you know, like you're at Target and you're like, I went to high school with them. <laughs> I, I hope they didn't see me because all we're, we're going to have that same conversation everybody has. Like, oh, did you hear about Blake? Yeah, he got married. That's great. And then you're going like, to, it's going to, you're just trying to avoid that whole situation. You don't want to deal with it. So who's that person? Who are those people, maybe? Who's that group of people? You don't want to meet them in the lobby today. You'd be bummed. You'd be, it would cause unsettledness. Like your, your pulse would brace. You're, you'd get calm. You'd get clammy and sweaty. You don't want that. You don't want to deal with them. You've tried not to think about them for a long time. So Philemon is opening the door. He sees Onesimus, and he hands him a letter. It's like, before you say anything, I know, I know. <laughs> And I mean, you know, if I'm Onesimus, I'm doing like what people do. Like I take on the meekest posture possible. You know, you just get small. You're not like a bear where like, let's go. You're like a, a turtle where you're like, please don't. <laughs> you know, and you're like, here, before you do anything, please, just please read this. So Philemon opens this letter. And it says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, which is likely Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, likely his son, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. 
For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you. So he's doing a play on his name. His name means useless. His name means useful. So he's doing a play on words there. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful. He has become what his name says he is. He has become Onesimus, truly, in name and in spirit, who he actually is. He's become useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I will repay it, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Philemon just received a personal letter to Philemon from God. Now he knows. What does God want him to do? He wants him to forgive Onesimus. So now Philemon has a decision to make. Will I do what God has clearly just told me to do in a letter, or will I roll with myself? Will I choose my own will for my life, or will I do what God has said? Who does God want you to forgive this morning? Who is God telling you you need to forgive? You need to actively forgive them. Just like Philemon, you didn't come here expecting to have a to-do list. You didn't want to have an application that you had to go and do. But you do. God wants you to consider, who do you need to forgive? Now, if you're like me, or Philemon, I imagine, your first pushback is like, I have some questions about that. (laughs) Or I have some concerns. I have some other ideas. And I feel like the text addresses those, and that's why I'm going to spend the lion's share of my time this morning addressing for us. So my first thing that I can think of is like, can I just ignore them instead? (laughs) Can I just unfriend them? and not follow them on social media? Can I just not go to the family reunion anymore? Can I just ignore them? Does that work? Does that count? I got a slide for you. Philemon, we'll just do uh, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. The answer to that question is no, you can't just ignore them. I know, that sucks, right? (laughs) Because that's like our go-to strategy. That's our move. (laughs) No, you must forgive them. You can't just ignore them. And we would rather just try to ignore them, right? Like, we try to just shut them out of our life. When When their name comes up, I try to tone it out. When they come up on social media, I don't follow them anymore. I don't go to the family reunion. I do whatever it takes to pretend like I don't remember. My goal is if I can forget, then I don't feel it anymore. 
If I can forget about them, if I can ignore them, not run into them at Target, I'll move. (laughs) I'll move to a different town. I'll do whatever it takes, but I'm not dealing with this. Or the way that I'm going to deal with this is by removing myself from the situation. Or I'm not going to let you see my kids anymore because I'm going to try and cut every tie with you because I don't want to deal with that. But yet this morning when I bring up unforgiveness, when I bring about hurt and real pain, that person's face comes to mind right away. That, those words are in your ears right now. So how's that whole ignoring thing working out for you? <laughs> you pulling it off? I remember back in uh, high school, I used to spend a lot of time at a bowling alley <laughs> because I was from small town Iowa. <laughs> and uh, I remember one time I was bowling, and I actually got pretty good at it, but I was bowling, and like, the ball return, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like, you know, like it goes under the wood part, and it just pops up magically through the little plastic thing. Well, one time my ball got stuck in there, and it was my turn, and so it, I had, it was spinning down. Sometimes it would get stuck in this area. There's like a little loading area where it spins, and then it, like, it's supposed to shoot it up, but my ball was too light <laughs> because that's how good of a bowler I was. I was using the light ones because the light ones spin like crazy. <laughs> I couldn't get enough oomph on any of the real man-sized bowling balls. Um, So um, it was all show, you know? (laughs) The more you spin, the better bowler you look like you are. (laughs) And so so it was stuck there and spinning. And so there was a floorboard, you know, like a secret floorboard in like a teenager's room or something that you pull up. (laughs) That's where you keep all your stash. But here's where you kept the bowling balls that were stuck. And so I reached down because I was going to help it, you know? Because it was like, well, this thing is clearly stuck. It needs a push because the ball is so light the machine can't even catch it. But bowling alleys, the lanes share a a return, right? And I was in this lane, but I did not know that somebody in this lane had bowled. And so I'm here putting my hand down here going like, okay, let's try and move this thing up. And so their ball is returning like a cannonball (laughs) because they're like a big boy (laughs) and use the right size ball. And so my hand is on one ball while the next one is coming at me at a million miles an hour (laughs) and smashes it between the two bowling balls as it's sitting there. And so I do what every person does and like, ah! And you like immediately tuck your hand inside your stomach for some reason and you wrap your, whatever cloth you have available, you wrap around it. And so I'm just doing that thing where you jump around you're like, oh, oh, it hurts so bad. And you don't, and you're just like, I don't want to look, I don't want to look. It hurts so bad. And it's just like throbbing, like your whole body is pouring out through your finger at this moment. And so I'm just jumping around and all of a sudden uh, a couple of friends I was there with like see me from across the bowling alley and they're just like, and, I, and by their face, it's like you can see the reflection of your own injury in their eyes. <laughs> and you're like, what? You know? And they're like, you have to look down. <laughs> and so you look down, I'm just like covered in blood, like everywhere. It just split my finger. Like not like, like it's, a, it's from pressure. Like it pressed so hard that it split. Does that make sense? It's not like a cut from a knife. It's like it got pushed so hard that the skin was like, I don't know. <laughs> And so, like, I'm doing that, and I'm just jumping around, and I'm in so much pain, and I'm in so much hurt, and everybody knew it, and I was denying it. I was jumping around like, nope, we're good, nope, nope, we're good, not going to look at it, nope. (laughs) Everybody else in the bowling alley could see what was true. I was in deep pain, and I had a big problem, (laughs) and everybody else knew it. Everybody else could hear it. Everybody else could see it pouring out of me. Except for me. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to think about it. Maybe if I don't think about it, maybe it's not real. (laughs) Maybe if I just pretend my finger's fine, maybe it'll just get better. I don't know. They don't just get better, as it turns out. (laughs) 
Like, if, if you don't seek medical treatment, they, your finger goes crooked, apparently. Like, as much duct tape as an Iowa farm boy can find does not put the finger straight. Um, so, everybody could see what was true. I didn't want to think about it. I knew what was true. I knew something bad had happened. Everybody else could see the pain. Everybody else could see it pouring out of me. And I suspect that's what's true for you who are an unforgiving. You're living in unforgiveness, and everybody else knows it. They know what name not to bring up around you. They know what situation not to bring up, what topic. They know. Everybody else knows. You know when you think about it. You just don't want to think about it. But you know. And people try to avoid it. They have to walk on eggshells around you if this thing comes up. Or it's like, oh, well, I've got to go to this Christmas, but I don't want them to show up, so let's do two Christmases. It's just easier, and maybe we'll just do this. And like everybody's trying to coordinate to like make sure that you don't blow up, or to like, or even just to like reopen the wound because they know how hurtful it is, and they love you and they want to take care of you. But everybody else knows, and you know. Look at Matthew six twelve through fifteen. It'll be up on the screen for you. This issue of forgiveness could not be more serious. It's part of when the disciples say, "Teach us how to pray." You know the prayer. <laughs> this is in there, right? Like, this is one of the big things of all the things he could have mentioned. He ends this, I'm just capturing the ends of the Lord's Prayer, and then a commentary he makes on it. He says, forgive us our debts as we, as, also, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or trespasses, depending on your tradition or translation. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if, now he, listen to his, that's the end of the prayer. Listen to his comment on it, though. Of all the things in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus commented on this thing. Of all the things he just said in the Lord's Prayer, you know what, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can do it in your sleep. Some of you probably do. <laughs> of all the things he could have commented on, this is the thing he comments on. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Of all the things he could have commented on, this is the one that he's like, I want to make sure you heard that. When you say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I want to make sure that you're doing the one part because it's not just a, they're, not, they're connected. They're two sides of a different coin. They're connected. So my question with your strategy is, do you want God to forget about you or do you want him to forgive you? Do you want when God thinks about Dallas and Becca, do you guys want him to be like, la, 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 I'm not seeing it. I'll unfollow them on social media. <laughs> like God's just not going to follow you anymore. Is that what you want? Do you want him to forget about you? Would that be preferable? Because now he doesn't have to deal with all the brokenness and like Becca said this and did this and or Christina, do you want God to forget about you? Like, do you want to, is that your strategy? Because that's how you deal with people. You're just like, I'm going to forget about them. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to forget. And that makes them go away. We don't want that from God, do we? We want forgiveness. We want relationship. Forget distances people. Forgive brings them together. We try and distance ourselves from things that hurt us. Is that what we want God to do with us? When we sin against him, do we want his reaction to be like, just get away from me. I can't even look at you. I don't want to be in the same family as you anymore. I don't want to go to the same functions with you anymore. I'm done with you. No, God forgave us. God forgave us instead of forgetting about us. And so let's say you're with me. You're like, fine, okay. I'll do my, I'm not going to just ignore people anymore. I'm going to try and deal with it. Okay, let's get real. Real, true talk, whatever the hashtag is. I don't know. Let's do this. But remembering still hurts. That's why I try to forget about it, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I, totally. Okay, let's roll with that. Objection number two. Can I just wait till I'm over it? 
Can I just wait until I don't feel so badly about it anymore? Can I just wait until I'm over it? Does that work? Philemon 1.14, it's up on the screen for you. Paul tells him, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. No, you can't just wait till you're over it. And here's why. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision. It is a choice you make. You choose to forgive. But we would rather wait till we were over it, right? If you're anything like me, you'd, you'd rather wait till the storm calms down and then deal with it. But is that really forgiveness or is that just you being over it? Like, that's no big deal now, so now I don't really care. There's no distance between us because I'm over it. But no active forgiveness has taken place. You're just, we're good because I'm not mad at you anymore. That's not forgiveness. Early in marriage, I did not know this. <laughs> and I was like a snow globe, uh, which apparently we found out on vacation. My dad didn't know what a snow globe is. So I should probably explain to you what a snow globe is. You guys know what a snow globe is, right? <laughs> My dad's also in his defense is 79, but it's like, you've been around. You should have seen a snow globe by now. It's those little things with like the sparkles in them and it all looks nice and then you shake it up and it spins around, right? We all have seen those, okay? So it's on the same page. I was gonna buy one at some trinket shop in the Black Hills just to bring for you, but I figure I can explain it and you know what I'm talking about. I wanna drop $10 on a snow globe. Um, <laughs> so I was like a snow globe. Like Paige would hurt me or I would perceive that she hurt me and, <laughs> and the flakes are flying everywhere, right? And then you just wait long enough. You wait long enough, those things settle down. It takes a while, depending on how strong you are and how much like, spin you get on them. But it settles down after a while. And then I'd be like, we're good now, right? And I'd re-engage. I'd come back from my long walk or come out of the room on the computer or whatever. Now we're good. But we never talked about it, never dealt with, no forgiveness, no nothing. Our relationship was based on how I felt. And if I felt upset, then distance. But if I got over it, then we're good. But that's not forgiveness. It was never dealt with. It was never talked about. But that's a lot of our strategy. Is like, well, maybe once I'm over it, then I'll think about forgiving them. So same question as the first strategy. How's that working out for you? <laughs> you, you finding that you're just getting over that thing? I mean, if it's a deep hurt, is that thing just going away? Eh, it doesn't hurt as much as it used to. I feel much better about that cruel, hurtful thing they did to me. You know, when I look back at it, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Typically not the way we respond to things, right? It gets worse over time. One way to find out is like, are you like a snow globe? Like, yeah, you're fine right now. And you came into this morning just fine, but I bring it up and you're all like swirling around again. Like the second you get bumped, those flakes start flying again. You're like, maybe I'm not over it. It's just, I tried not to think about it. I've been employing the first strategy, so I haven't had to think about it in a while, but now you bring it up, it makes me all stirred up again. Thanks a lot, Todd. I didn't, I'm, I've been doing a successful job of keeping this out of my world. My question is, have you though? Have you really? By ignoring it and just by waiting for the feelings to go away? That's why forgiveness must be a decision and not based on feelings because it allows you and it allows, it's God saying to you, you know what, your feelings are valid. The fact that you are hurt is legit. Like if somebody hurts you, if you get hurt, that's not your fault. Somebody stabs you and you bleed, that's not on you, right? It's okay to be hurt. Now, if God said, I want you to feel better about it right now, just feel better about it, that'd be a really hard thing to pull off, wouldn't it? Because how could you even reliably do that? I feel, I can't even 
choose how I feel some days. <laughs> like, you've been there, right? You feel a certain way. You're like, I wish I didn't feel this way. It's like, well, then stop doing it, you idiot. It's like, well, I don't have that kind of control over my feelings. Like, I try and drive them, but I, I can't base my life on how I feel about things. And so God is saying, it's okay to be hurt, but it's also, oh, you're free to obey me and be hurt at the same time. You can choose to forgive somebody and still be hurt. You don't have to say, it's okay, I'm, not, I'm over it. You don't have to be over it. You can still be really hurt by somebody and choose to forgive them. Does that make sense? I think we get this confused in our head. For some reason, we tie it together and say, well, I can't truly offer forgiveness because I'm still wounded by it. Those are not, you can be hurt and forgive. And that's actually what God's telling you to do. He's like, I want you to forgive Onesimus. I know that this is a lot. You haven't seen him in years, and he's right there. And you weren't planning on dealing with this this morning. I'm not asking you to feel great about it. I'm asking you to forgive him. Look at what God did. Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. God forgave us while we were enemies. He didn't wait till we became friends. And I'm sure while we were enemies, we felt like enemies. Does that make sense? <laughs> like we weren't just like wearing the wrong uniform. I'm sure it felt like, why are you doing this? It felt like an enemy relationship. That's the, that's the nature of what it was like with us, with God, before he sent his son to die. So he knows what it's like to forgive people he doesn't feel great about at that moment. You know, Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them. I don't think he's looking out because he's like, oh, because they're so like, they're so like sweet. <laughs> and I mean, how can I stay mad at them? It's like, well, because they're nailing you to a cross at the moment. I feel like it'd be okay for you to be upset with them. He's not basing it on that. He's saying, like, I don't feel happy things about you right now, but I'm choosing to forgive you. I'm choosing. I'm making a decision. I'm digging my heels in, and I'm allowing them to be nailed to a cross on purpose. I'm choosing this, even though I don't feel like it. I'm choosing, because that's what I want to do. And so this whole business of deciding is really, I feel like, emphasized well in Matthew 18, in this little... uh, conversation between Peter and Jesus, which I'll have up on the screen for you. It says, Peter came up to him. You may have heard this uh, before. And uh, he said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? It's like, this is a pretty generous offer, right? Like, this guy, you know, sins against me seven times. That'd be pretty generous of me, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, if I forgave him? Jesus, Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times. Peter's like, yes, just the once. <laughs> Like, but 77 times. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I was hoping for less. And like some of your translations might say seven times 70, so that would make it 490, which is even worse. Like I'm not sure the Greek's muddy on it, but it's at least 77. <laughs> it's more. It's more. And seven is the number of perfection in Hebrew. So it might even be like, Peter might have even been saying like, exhaustively, should I forgive this guy indefinitely? And Jesus says, it's like a kid saying infinity times infinity. Like it doesn't mean anything. It just makes it sound bigger. <laughs> And so Jesus says, like, no, I tell you as much as they do it. And you're like, well, why do I have to forgive them 77 times? Like, that seems unfair. Why do they get to do this to me 77 times? And now that is possible, that somebody could do the same thing to you over and over and over again. But I heard a, a pastor comment on it, and I think this gives some insight onto it. What's more likely, that somebody would do the same thing to you 77 times, the same hurtful thing, or that they would do one so incredibly hurtful thing to you that you remember it 77 times. That it occurs to you over and over 
and over and days and weeks and months go by and you still remember it. What's more likely? The latter, right? Like somebody would do something so painful, so hurtful. They would say something so mean-spirited or that you would remember it that often. And the likelihood of that is far greater. And Jesus is saying, it is your job to choose to forgive them. And if Brock hurts me badly, and I say, Brock, I forgive you, if tomorrow I remember it, it's my job to remember that I forgave him. He doesn't have to repent and ask for forgiveness all over again tomorrow. Does that make sense? Like, he asked for forgiveness. He did his part. If I remember it tomorrow, that part is on me. It's my decision. I remember that I chose to do that. Now, that still sucks because I'm doing all the work. Why do I have to forgive him 77 times? He's the one who did the wrong thing. Shouldn't he have to come back and grovel 77 times? Shouldn't I make him pay that back? It's not equal. It's unfair. And that brings me to the last objection. How is any of this fair? How is forgiveness fair at all? It sounds like the person who got hurt is doing all the work. Have you heard this? Like, you have to just deal with it, and you have to say no to your feelings and make a decision, and yeah, you have to deal with the fact that it's unfair. It's like, when does the person who did anything wrong have to pay for anything? This seems like I'm doing all the work. Philemon, verses 17 and 18, Paul says to Philemon, he says, so if you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus, receive him as you would receive me. What do you, how do you feel about me, Philemon? When you think about Paul, when you think about me in prison, do you have happy thoughts? Yeah, I led you to Christ. How do you feel about me? Like, if I showed up at your house, would you give me the best bed, the best meal, a big hug, a warm kiss, a, a, a kind word? I want you to treat Onesimus like that. I want you to treat him like he's me. And if he has wronged you at all, and he has, and if he owes you anything, and he does, charge that to my account. If you still have like legitimate like gripe against Onesimus, charge it to me. If you want somebody to go to jail, I'll serve his time. If you want somebody to have the death penalty, which Onesimus could have been charged with as a runaway slave who robbed his master, put me to death. Whatever you feel like Onesimus deserves, do it to me. Paul is saying, I want you to accept a trade. I want you to, whatever good I have, give it to Onesimus. Whatever bad he deserves, give it to me. Trade. I want you to accept a trade. Philemon, accept a trade. And that's not fair. Onesimus deserves to die. Paul deserves to be free. Paul deserves a warm hug. Onesimus deserves a slap on the hand. And Paul is proposing a trade. Because forgiveness is not fair. Unfortunately, I don't have a better answer for it than that. Forgiveness is not fair. It isn't fair. And as the victim of being hurt by somebody, that is hard news to hear. But the good news of forgiveness being unfair is that that is exactly how God has treated us. In his son Jesus, he has accepted a trade. Whatever good Jesus earned, he gives to Bridget. And says, when Bridget shows up, I treat him like I would Jesus. So how does Jesus get welcomed into heaven? Trumpets, parades, ticker tape, candy. That's how you get welcomed. What does Bridget deserve? The wages of sin is death. She deserves to die. So Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus dies. And God accepts the trade. 
God says, I will, I will honor that trade. I will treat Bridget like Jesus deserves, and I will treat Jesus like Bridget, or me, or any of us deserve. I will trade places with you. And that's not fair. Praise God, that's not fair. Do you want fair? Is that what you want? Because if you want fair, then you get what you have coming to you, and Jesus gets what's coming to him. Which means he doesn't die. He shouldn't die. And you do. Forgiveness is not fair. Jesus on the cross said one profound thing right before he died. He stretched out his arms. And one of the last things he said, he said, it is finished. The word in Greek is tetelestai, which I don't expect you to remember, but it's a cool word. So if you want to learn a new word today, there's your, there's your bang for your buck this morning. Get your money's worth. Tetelestai, it means it is finished. Literally, it's an accounting term, which means paid in full. It's like the stamp, like when your home is paid off, like, boom, you're like, done with you guys, my house. <laughs> I do what I want, you know, or my car or my whatever I paid off. It's a stamp. He said on the cross, he says, paid in full. Whose debt is Jesus paying? Does Jesus owe anybody anything? No, he is paying our debt. He says paid in full and God receives that trade on the cross and the good news of forgiveness being unfair is that God receives the trade and accepts it if you are willing to put your faith in Jesus. So last thing here I want you to think about, what would it look like if we actually did this, right? So you came in here this morning, you didn't want to forgive somebody. <laughs> you've been trying hard not to. <laughs> like If you're like me, you've been employing a lot of strategies, like let's ignore them. But here it is, a letter to you this morning. You didn't want it. <laughs> you didn't want God to tell you what he wanted you to do this morning, but here he is writing you a letter you said, Brock, this is what I want you to do. I want you to forgive that person who's hurt you. John, I want you to forgive that person who's hurt you. I want you to forgive these people. He, you didn't come in here expecting God to tell you exactly what he wants you to do, but now he's told you, so what are you going to do with that? And what would it look like if we did? Can you imagine what our families would look like if people forgave each other instead of tried to ignore each other or waited until they got over it? or pretended like they were over it, but really weren't, so that you passive-aggressive stuff. <laughs> it's like, you're clearly not over it because you're acting nice, but I can tell you're being really mean right now. <laughs> Imagine what our church would look like. What would, what would a visitor to the church think if they looked around and saw people who actually forgave each other? What would your unbelieving coworkers be like if they heard you talk about people who had hurt you in a way that's different than anybody else talks about people who've hurt them? What would that look like if we embraced what Philemon was charged to do and actually forgave like God instructed and received forgiveness. I think we would receive more. We would feel it more because we would be, the word when he says it's required, it's the word fitting. It's fitting. I can command you to do what's fitting. It fits. You've been forgiven. You forgive people. It matches. It all makes sense. It's really weird when a Christian says, I'm free, my debts are forgiven, and then strangles people over petty stuff. It looks weird. It doesn't match. It doesn't fit. Forgiveness fits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son to die in our place. I deserve to die. My sins are a debt that are greater than I could ever even try to pay off. Even if my heart and my sincerity of my heart, if I wanted to pay them off and worked as hard as I could to do good, I could not pay off the debt that I've earned because every day I'm accruing new debt. It's like I'm in a sinkhole of just uh, sinking sand and I can't get ahead every step I make I just fall further down even in my best attempts to do good and if I'm honest most days I'm not even trying my best 
Some days I have good days, but I have bad days. And on those days, I imagine I'm just straight sinking. I'm not even making up any ground. So thank you for forgiving us. You chose. You made a decision. You sent your son. You said in the Gospel of John, you said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. You chose. You drove. You did it on purpose because you wanted to. Thank you for that, Lord. Pray that hearts this morning would receive that forgiveness and that your Holy Spirit would then fill those hearts with a desire to be like, like even the song we sang this morning, to be, oh, to be like you to do for others what you have done for us, that you'd fill our hearts with a desire to do it. Like Paul told Philemon, I don't want, you to, I don't want to strong arm you into this. I want you to want to do this. And I feel like I can win you over. If I tell you what Jesus did, I feel like I'm in a place that I could actually win you over and that your heart would lean in and that you'd do it because you felt like it, because you wanted to, because you make a decision and not just because you feel strong armed into it. So may you empower hearts to forgive people who have really hurt them. And it's unfair And I pray that we would be like Jesus and do that for other people what's been done for us. In your name we pray, amen.